SM Night first series of the year. We're going to be diving into a three-chapter section of the Gospel of Matthew that a lot of people uh, have heard of, have heard parts of, have read in full. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm really excited to dive into these three chapters over the next few weeks. Uh, it's a really, that's a small part of Matthew's Gospel, but there's a lot of implications, a lot of le lessons, a lot of things to glean from that. And um, as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, as I looked at what I was going to talk about tonight, uh, there was um, sometimes things like stories just come to me, like I'm like, ah, that relates really well. And other times I dive into my phone and I just start looking through photos because like I have a bad memory, I don't always remember all the things that happened to me. And um, one of the photos I came across, don't put it up yet, don't put it up yet. Um, one of the photos I came across reminded me of one of the more insane weekends I've ever been a part of. And so a lot of you, you'll, you'll get there one day for this, but a lot of you, when you get into your 20s, all of your friends start getting married, and then you get to lucky enough to be involved in some of those weddings. And so one of my good friends from college, his name was John. He was getting married. Uh, I was a, got to be a groomsman, and so we went to uh, the mountains for his bachelor party. And all the other bachelor parties I've ever been a part of have been like people hanging out, reminiscing on all the times like we used to spend together. It was like much more subdued. It was basically like guys hanging out. And John is one of the more intense people that I've ever met in my life. And so he had this saying that he kept emailing to us as we were planning. He kept texting it to us. He just kept saying this thing over and over again. So much so that Tommy made it into a t-shirt. And uh, we wore these t-shirts to the Bachelor Weekend. And it said, you need trauma to make a memory. And I plan to make thousands with you guys this weekend with every calorie in and out. This is a very intense thing to say to me personally as a person who lives my life uh, only seeking out the most comfortable situation I can find myself in. And so he's saying all of this. I'm not 100% sure. Uh exactly what this means, but so we drive up to the mountains, uh, we get there, we are there for a night hanging out, and he says, this is what we're doing tomorrow, and if you, you know, you have to do, he's the groom, you have to do whatever he wants to do, he says, there is a 16-mile piece of the Appalachian Trail that I want to hike tomorrow, so I'm like, 16-mile hike, like, that's all day, John, like, okay, like, I guess we can do that, that's fine, he said, no, 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 it won't take all day, because we're going to do it for time. This man brought us to the mountains so that we could attempt to do a 16-mile section of the Appalachia Trail as fast as we possibly could. The goal, he had, like, he had mapped it out. He had done the like elevation change. He had done Google Earth, like roaming these 16. Like He had a time that he wanted us all to beat. And there were a few of us that were like, not a chance, not going to happen. And so we get there at like 6 a.m. at the trailhead. They take off a few people who are like all in on this idea. And there were three of us that were like, you know, there's a smaller loop within this loop that if we, you know, we can go up to this nice spot, turn around, come on back, we'll be about the same time, and we'll have a nice day. And so uh, three of us went up, and while the other people spent like something like six hours aggressively basically sprinting this section of the Appalachian Trail, we had a nice time, and we got to go up to this beautiful uh, view, look down on the valley, see, be in a cloud. It was, a, it was a something that 
you wouldn't have even known that this like lookout was there unless you were going slow enough to see the signs. And so everyone else, they did not enjoy their day. They did not stop and look at the view. But we got to enjoy this nice leisurely uh, summit to this, this spot and, and take in the sights. And the reason I'm telling you this is as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, as we are at the very beginning of the school year, I think of it a lot like this day with John trying to potentially run us into the ground just to create a memory. I think of the school year as the beginning of a journey. I think of our lot, a lot of us front end of life, right? A beginning of our journey, new to our faith, just coming to understand our faith. We are all beginning a journey in some way, shape, or form. And as we go on this journey, I think that we're constantly told that we should rush, we should go fast, we should get to the next achievement, unlock the next thing in our path. But oftentimes we forget to slow down to enjoy where we are at, to really understand why it is we ended up on this path in the first place. And in the Sermon on the Mount, at the very beginning of chapter five, kind of, it's chapter five, six, and seven. So at the very first two verses, of chapter five, this whole section of scripture starts off with this. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them saying, and then we'll go into what he said in a minute. But I think it's important to look at this as a setup for what we're gonna be talking about in this series, as a setup for what we're gonna be talking about today, as a setup for this year that we are about to go into. Jesus went up onto the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. If you've been at church on Sunday, you know we're in a series called Follow Follow Me. This whole year we'll be looking at this idea of Jesus calling us with those two words, follow me. And constantly throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going somewhere and people following him. And I would like to encourage us, I would like to challenge us that as we start this school year, as we start this journey together that we don't rush to get to the end, that we take our time to make sure that we are following Jesus but following him together. And tonight, as we dive into this first section of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to together go through this. I want to be, hopefully everyone is following me still, and we're going to look at this idea. There's a few ideas, a few different things that happen in the Sermon on the Mount, but there is one constant throughout. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And so the main idea tonight, we're just going to start, I'm giving you the answer to the test at the front. The main idea tonight is Jesus calls us to be different in our posture, our purpose, and our actions. So we'll obviously unpack and explain what that means, but that's, that's the answer to the test. Jesus calls us to be different in our posture, our purpose, and our actions. The whole theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling us to be different, different from uh, what the Pharisees are telling people they need to be like, different from what the world, um, the pagans, whoever are telling you to be like. We need to be different so that we can be like Jesus, that we can follow him to the best of our ability. The Sermon on the Mount describes what human life and community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God. And what does that look like? It looks different. There's no single section of these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, 7, where contrasts between Christian and non-Christian standards of living are not drawn. Everything is is pointing out what it it looks like to be different as a Christian, as a follower of 
Jesus. It's the uniting theme of this section. And so a lot of you might be thinking, why the Sermon on the Mount? Why are we starting the year off with this? And uh, is it even, like, I think a lot of us, we ask this question, is it even relevant? Uh, Not the Sermon on the Mount, but anything that we're talking about from the Bible. And I think the Sermon on the Mount is a great example for all other things that we could pull out of the Bible. And so, like I said, it's 5, 6, and 7. So if you go to the end of chapter 7, so we read the first two verses. These are the last two verses in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, when Jesus finished saying these things, uh, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so I think if we look at this, whoa, can you, can you go back? Thanks. As we look at this, um, the key word here, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. I think as we look at why study the Sermon on the Mount, the issue of Jesus' authority, the lordship of Jesus is as relevant today as it was back then in principle and in application. And as we walk through everything that happens between Matthew 5, verse 1, and Matthew 7, verse 29, I hope that we can see that come to light. And uh, another thing to keep in mind is that Jesus is, is saying the Sermon on the Mount to his followers, to believers already. And so I think we can read these with the eyes of people already committed to following Jesus. Another question that comes to mind is, is it practical? I think that uh, as we go through this, especially this first section, the Beatitudes, Jesus lays out these standards for Christians, people who follow him, and the standards are at the same time readily attainable and totally not attainable at all. And there's a weird dynamic with that, right? As we read these things, you're like, I can see how you would do that, but also how could you become like that at all times, in all ways in your life. And to put these standards, these teachings beyond reach is to ignore the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount to draw us to that ideal. But to put them within everyone's reach, to think that it's very easy if we just accomplish these tasks is to ignore the reality of our sinful nature. And it's only possible through Jesus and the new life that he provides. We are called into life with Jesus, that a life that is different in our posture our purpose, and our action. And so let's look at those three things, those three ways that Jesus calls us to be different. The first one we're going to look at is our posture, right? And so as we walk through the Beatitudes, we're going to see four different postures that, that Jesus is talking about that we take and where we're called to be different. So the first one is the posture of ourselves, right? So verse three, next, the next verse in chapter five, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is the opposite of the world's posture of self-praise and self-assertion. It's not a false humility, but honesty with ourselves. We need to know about ourselves, accept ourselves, and try to be ourselves to the glory of God. We are, to, we are called blessed, it says, and it will say throughout all of this, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have to change our posture. We need to be a different posture towards ourselves, how we view ourselves and who we are as as we follow Jesus. The second posture is towards our sin. So that's the next few verses, uh, four through six, and it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they 
shall be satisfied. Jesus is laying out a posture that we are called to be different towards our sin. We should mourn over our sin, not brush it to the side. We should accept that we are sinful in nature. But know that we are going to be comforted in that sin. We should submit meekly to God. And I think that this word trips people up. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, the, the root word of this, the Greek word that is used here, would have also been used to describe uh, the, the training of a horse. Right? You wouldn't say a horse is weak just because um, it is, has a rider. Right? So it refers to power under control. We need to change our posture towards our sin and seek out righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So we're adjusting the posture we take towards our sin. The third posture in verses 7 through 9 is towards God. You can go to the next one. Yep, sorry. These slides, I could have tightened up the slides, sorry. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We experience God's mercy when we trust in Jesus. But having received this mercy, we are called to share it with others. We are called to keep our hearts pure, to see God at work in our lives. We are called to become peacemakers in a tumultuous world and to be lights of God's mercy, purity, and peace to all those that we come in contact with. We need a different posture towards God and how we view his role, his authority in our lives. And finally, the fourth posture is towards the world. Verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Christian life is not an easy one. The call to follow Jesus is not easy. And when we live different, the world will notice people who are not walking alongside you are not also following Jesus will notice. And that's often a good thing. It's often a sign that, that you're moving in the right direction. We have different, we are called to a different posture. Uh, the, the next thing we are called to is a different purpose. And so if our posture is how, how we do different, purpose is why we do different. So if we look back at those verses at the end of chapter 7, again, we revisit this idea of Jesus' authority. Like I said, this is for believers, people who already seek to follow Jesus. Our purpose comes from the acceptance of his authority over our lives and over the world. Why we follow Jesus? Because he is Lord. Because he came, because he died, because he rose. Again, we accept his call and his authority in our lives. And when we have a different posture and a different purpose, we then get to a different action. And I think a lot of times our sense of church can be, well, they're just telling me how to act differently. They're just telling me what to do differently. And if you'll notice that I got to actions third, I think that, that we are not called to just do different things, but to become different people as we let our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ change who we are for the better. 
And that's why we hit action last, because it is not necessarily just that we are doing the right things, but that we are doing them for the correct reasons. Uh, it's not saying that all that matters is our outward works and deeds. There's, there is a required difference in our posture and our purpose before real difference in our actions can follow. See my cool arrows there? Posture to purpose to action. It's not a charge to just do something different, but to become different. And in this time, Jesus is talking to all these people who would know that and, and interact with these Pharisees, these people in the community concerned with the minute details of people's actions, but they neglected the major matters of people's purpose, of the why they were doing what they were telling people to do. Actions flow from posture, flow from purpose. And the Beatitudes, which is what this first section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is called, describe how it's supposed to be in a Christian's life, in our life, as we follow Jesus and seek to answer his call. His call to be different in our posture, our purpose, and our actions. And I'm excited as we start this series, as we take off on a whole another school year, to see uh, how we cannot just let this be a one and done thing. We cannot just, just say yes, nod, nod, answer some questions in small group. But can we answer this call to be different, not just changing our actions, but changing who we are because of our belief in who Jesus is? Uh, so that's what I'm really excited to start the year with, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll roll into small groups. Um, so if you'll bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we come before you tonight humbled by your power, humbled by your authority, and, and just asking you to, to speak to us, uh, to call us in ways that we could understand, that we could see, that we could know where in our lives we need to become different, not because of, not because of some checklist of things we have to do, but because of who you are. Let it be things that we want to do. Let us become a better version of ourselves as we continue to seek to follow you to the best of our ability. Jesus, be with each and every student and leader in here tonight as we break to talk and continue to learn more about who you are and how, uh, what role you play in our lives. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And all God's people said, amen.